from New Jersey. It's the SNL Nerds, a show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. And I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. John Trumbull, how are you, sir? Hello. I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. A little, little slightly sunburned, but otherwise okay. Oh, oh, wow. What are, you're out there uh, hanging 10, catching rays? Out there on I, the beaches? You know, not, not intentionally. Like yesterday, I went and I did a, a caricature job. Our friend Natty Bumpercar, he he uh, he got in touch with me and he was like, "Hey, I'm doing this street fair thing over in in Cedar Grove, and you want to come and draw some caricatures for the people?" And I was like, "Yes, I could use the money because mm. I am uh, what is the word broke." Mm. Uh, but then then I. I overslept, so I had to leave the apartment in a rush. It didn't take any sunscreen, so I'm out there in the sun in a short sleeve shirt for like four hours, and uh, oh. not good. That is not good for someone of my complexion. John, didn't you learn anything from that uh, Baz Luhrmann song from the late '90s? Well, I mean, Always. I've learned so many things from Baz Luhrmann songs. Um, Always wear sunscreen. Is that a Baz Luhrmann song? You don't remember that song? Uh, I think it was Baz Luhrmann. Like, always wear sunscreen. It was like a spoken word type of thing. No. <laughs> I'm this pretty is, sure. This is going that. totally over my head, man. Oh, okay. All right. I'm, I'm going to look, mean, I'm I've, look seen, I've seen Baz Luhrmann's version of Romeo and Juliet. I've seen his version of uh, The Great Gatsby. Is this uh, okay. like a pop song or something? No, no. It's like everybody's free to wear sunscreen. Oh, like a, oh Okay. It was kind of a, uh, yeah, like in the early aughts. It was like kind of a, I don't want to say novelty song, but it kind was of it was. Was it like a disco type of thing? Like a dance track? No, no. I think it was, oh, hold on. All right, all right, here we go. Uh, Where's Sunscreen? Essay written by, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. Spoken Word in 1997 by Baz Luhrmann. Uh, yeah, Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen, also known as the Sunscreen Song. And how do you know about this? It was a big hit. It was on the radio for a while. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I think it was in the... I feel like it was in the Romeo and... Oh, yeah, it was in the Romeo and Juliet uh, soundtrack, too. Okay, okay. I mean, maybe I'd recognize it if I heard it, but I have not seen the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet since it was out in theaters. Ah, Um, all right. So that's why. There we go. All right, so anyway, uh, Sunburn, yes. Yeah. I remember Mercutio was a cross-dresser. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Looking fabulous. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry your skin got all burned there, man. You should have yeah. got like a big, like floppy uh, gardening hat. Well, I mean, thank God I, I wore a, a baseball cap. So, you know, save, uh-huh. it saved me skull. Uh, but how are you doing, sir? Uh, good, good. Living a life, chasing a dream. Catching up on a lot of uh, SNL-related TV shows. That oh, have, really? Uh, return- yeah, well, you know, tangentially related. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the return of Better Call Saul, starring uh, former SNL writer Bob Odenkirk. Yep, loving it's that, always... loving that. We got a new loving episode uh, happening tonight uh, that I'll be watching after we record this. Absolutely. Um, new season of Barry with yes. uh, Mr. Bill Hader. Bill Hader, yes, doing a nice yeah. job. I haven't seen last night's episode yet. Um, it it's It's pretty dark. Yeah, I, I I'm hearing that. Yeah, I've got to yeah. I got to work things out with the the, the HBO Max people. So, oh, I you know, see. You I, gotta... I, I, ch- I changed my plan, and then like three days later, I go on there, and they're like, "You have to specify what plan you're on." And I'm like, "I 
it did this three days ago. What's what's going on? And yeah. oh dear. So we oh. got a whole thing. We got a whole oh. thing. I gotta. I, don't get me started on the HEB. <laughs> don't get me started. Yeah. Uh-huh. We've actually, oddly enough, we have seen each other in person twice since the last episode of the podcast that we've recorded, which is kind of unusual these days because we still record remotely. Right, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah at, at this point, I think just because we're just really don't want to leave our homes. I think we could record in the studio, but at this point, it's just like, oh, it's just easier to roll out of bed and do this in our underwear yeah. and uh, and whatnot. Yeah. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I watch a movie on my couch, and then I walk six feet over to my desk and record the podcast. It's so much easier. Yeah, no pants required. Yeah, I, I, I am wearing pants this week though because oh. I care. Oh, I do. I am not because I do not. Okay, no. All right. <laughs> so you know, there's that mental image for you. Enjoy that, yeah. folks. Hell yeah, hey, what's up there, fellas? And uh, yeah, like one of the times that we got together was actually uh, because I had to borrow the DVD of this week's movie from you. Uh, this is something that we've never had happen to us before. We, we chose the movie we're doing this week, Mr. Saturday Night uh, from 1992, starring and directed by Mr. Billy Crystal. And I was like, yeah, this this will be great. This is topical because there's this Broadway version that just opened on Broadway on April 27th. Let's go back and watch the movie it's it's based on. This is this is so timely. This will be great. I can we can watch it on streaming or I can get it from my library. No. Yeah. <laughs> those things happen. <laughs> yeah, so uh yeah, so uh as uh, John said, we're talking about Mr. Saturday Night. Uh, Billy Crystal, Big Billy Crystal film came out September 23rd, 1992, had a budget of 43 mil, made 23 mil. So, yeah, yeah this, not, not a hit movie. Yeah, I remember um, when this movie came out and I was a kid and yeah, I remember it being a big old bomberoo. And it was, yeah. a, it was a, especially surprising that it was because this came out like hot on the heels of two huge films. That Billy Crystal was in this. This, this move. This came out after when Harry Met Sally and City Slickers, two big, big box office uh, blockbusters for Mister Crystal. And so, yeah, for- yeah. So, I mean, he did what you do when you get a lot of clout. You have some a few hits under your belt. Is you do the passion project. You do the thing that you want to do. Um, you know, it's kind of like when when Tom Hanks was really huge in the '90s. He was like, "I'm going to direct a movie. I'm going to do that thing you do." And you know, that worked out well for him. That's a big cult movie to this day. Uh, Mr. Saturday Night, not so much. It's it's kind of, I don't want to say forgotten, but it's fallen down the memory hole a bit, you know? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Uh, like, well, to what you were saying before, like, this film, it, yeah, it was it bombed when it came out. And uh, we both had trouble finding a copy of this to watch. It is available yeah. on DVD. But, I mean, again, who has DVD players anymore except for you and I? I think we're the only two people left. Yeah, but, I mean, we're relics, so um, yes, <laughs> that makes exactly. sense. Um, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm sure we'll find it on streaming or something. And if not, you know, I've never had trouble getting movies from the library. Uh, my library system did not have it at all. Um, I mm. found it's on Amazon Prime, but you have to buy it. And I was like, do I want to buy this movie for $12.99 and own it for the rest of my life? No. 
no, because I don't even know if I'm going to like this movie. Yeah, Billy Crystal's <laughs> trying to get the money back that he lost on this movie, just one Amazon purchase at a time. I was like, you know, I, I, I'm i perfectly willing to rent the movie, but uh, yeah, there did not seem to be a way for me to do that. So I I had to contact you and I was like, is there a way I could borrow the DVD from you after you watch it? And yeah, so we met up and we, we did the exchange of the DVD and I've, I've watched the movie now. So now we are equipped to talk about it with you. But it's weird that there's a Broadway musical based on this movie and you you can hardly find the movie anywhere. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, okay, so you're making a Broadway f- musical about a movie that bombed when it came out, a movie that not too many people remember, and yeah. even if you had an interest in watching this, you couldn't watch the movie it's based on because it's not streaming anywhere. Yeah. So why you would think that some streaming service would pick it up and and do that as like a cross promotion thing? But wow. It's yeah. just strange. It's perplexing to me. Uh, yeah, well, actually, I uh, I watched um, an interview uh, Billy Crystal gave on uh, CBS this morning. I believe uh, Manette Mar- our good friend and uh, follower Manette Marati tweeted it out that mm-hmm. he was on CBS this morning talking about it. And he said the, he got the idea to do the Broadway play from uh, Mel Brooks, of all people. Because uh-huh. uh, at the time, I think it was like in 05, he was doing his Broadway play uh, 700 Sundays. And yeah. uh, across the street, Mel Brooks was doing um, uh, the producers, of course. And yes. at one point, and at one point, Mel Brooks wanted him to be Max in the producers, like right after uh, Billy was done with Seven Hundred Sundays. And Billy was like, "Thank you so much, but you know, I don't want to be like the fifth person to play Max on the Broadway show." And of course, you know, Mel Brooks as quick as he is said, "Well, you wouldn't be the fifth person to play Max; you'd be the twelfth." <laughs> and, uh, I can totally see Billy Crystal playing Max Bialystok. He would he would be a good choice for that. Um, he would, he would. And then of course Mel said, well, also, um, you know, a, a few people have been talking to me saying how much they really liked your old movie, Mr. Saturday Night, and they were wondering if you ever thought about bringing it to Broadway. It's like I'm just just a thought, just want to put it in your head, mm-hmm. and that thought, you know, kind of festered in Billy's brain for a number of years. And, uh, you know, he got together with some songwriters, wrote some songs, and now here's here it is on Broadway. That's interesting. And it's and it's interesting because, I mean, Billy Crystal is playing the same part he plays in the movie. And his co-star, his main co-star from the movie, David Paymer, is also playing the same part in the Broadway musical. And I don't know if that's a first, but that's certainly unique. Very much so. Uh, for guys, for those who don't know David you you know David Paymer. He's one of those yeah. character actors where you see him like, oh, that guy. Yeah, he's he's a classic, hey, it's that guy. And this movie, uh, his I believe his only Oscar nomination, or at least his first no- Oscar nomination. Yeah, I believe it's his only as, as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so Mr. Saturday Night, film written, but uh, produced by Billy Crystal, directed by Billy Crystal, starring Billy Crystal. Written by Billy Crystal, with along with uh, Babalu Mandel and Lowell Gans. And yeah. if those two names sound familiar to you, it's because they also wrote another movie we talked about on this podcast, uh, Spies Like Us. Yeah, and didn't I think they also were writers on City Slickers, if I remember correctly. They, they were. They wrote on uh, City Slickers. They wrote Splash. They wrote Parenthood. They wrote A League of Their Own. They're not, they're no slouches. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and great names. I mean, yeah. If you can be named Babalu and make and make a name for yourself in the business, I mean, you're, you're loving the dream. 
I mean, there's a very good chance I'll name my first child, you know, boy or girl, Bob will Sure. Be. Yeah. And my my wife will fight me on this. Well, you know, bring it. Yeah, and she would will be right to do so. Yes. <laughs> Bobaloo Patterson, you don't like the sound of that? I love the sound of it. I'm just saying your wife is right to disagree though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. Let's But uh yeah, this 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 movie it's it's a veritable Billy Crystal Palooza. Uh so we we got we got Billy Crystal, we got David Paymer. Uh, we also have uh, Julie Warner playing uh, Billy Crystal's wife. Uh, we have Helen Hunt in this, and we have Ron Silver, the great Ron, the late great Ron Silver, late late great Ron Silver. Um, yeah, so good cast, a lot of a lot of cool people, and this is this is a uh, this is almost like a biopic of a fictional character. He's he's playing Buddy Young Jr., who's a stand-up comedian in the. The sort of Catskills Borscht Belt tradition, yeah, like like a Shecky Green, uh, Don Rickles type, and yeah. I do like the way I kind of like the the angle they took with this because, like, yeah, it's a famous comedian or you know, a fictitious comedian uh, rather, but it's yeah. a comedian who never really made it to the big time. Like, if mm-hmm. you look in the if if you look throughout the movie, oh, excuse me. Um, he's, uh, he's open for a number of people. Like he opened for Jimmy Durante. He opened for Sinatra, but he, it seems like he never became a headliner. Yeah. They, they show like throughout the movie. I mean, it starts with like an, an older, uh, buddy young junior. And then we have flashbacks interspersed throughout the movie of his life and his career. And we see how he got started in the business, how he met his wife and, and all this. And, and certain highlights and lowlights of his career along the way. And I'd say like a big one is they have a flashback to when he was booked on Ed Sullivan and he goes on the same night as the Beatles in 1964. (laughs) And not just on the same night, he was right after the Beatles. Yeah, that was rough. (laughs) Um, And they, they, they have that in there. So they got a little bit of the, the archival footage of, of the Beatles on Ed Sullivan in, in 64. And I know in, I know, you know, cause Ed Sullivan, it was like one of those big variety shows. And I think it was like an hour and a half or something like that. And they had a ton of acts. It wasn't just the Beatles on that episode. And I know they had uh, the cast of Oliver performing and, Ooh. and the, the guy playing the Artford Do- artful Dodger was Davy Jones, who would be in the oh. monkeys a few years later. Oh, he's dreamy. He is dreamy. And uh, uh, Charlie Brill and his wife, whose name I'm blanking on, they also performed. They were a, like a comedy act, like a Nichols and May type of thing, I think. Oh, And nice. uh, Frank Gorshin, who was a big uh, impressionist, he also was one of the performers on the night really? the Beatles performed on Ed Sullivan. Frank Gorshin? Really? Frank Gorshin, the Riddler, oh. his own self. Wow. How yeah. about that? Hot dog. So... So tough gig. <laughs> yeah, very tough gig. And we also yeah. see, um, you know, as as you said, like he goes on after the Beatles. Um, you know, of course, the audience is filled with screaming, hollering teenagers. A mm-hmm. um, little bit of trivia. One of those teenagers was uh, Billy Crystal's daughter, Lindsay. She, she I saw that, now. yes. I mean, I didn't, I, I saw that on the IMDb trivia. I didn't like see this this girl and be like, that's Billy Crystal's daughter because it would be weird. Um, Very much so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and uh, but of course, you know, he can't get a word in edgewise because teenage yeah. girls screaming, I love you, Paul, I love you, Ringo. Just right. And of course, 
th- that, of course, angers him, and he just lashes out at the audience, calling them dumb idiot uh, teenage girls. And that we see this as a reoccurring pattern throughout Buddy's yeah. life. Yeah, like uh, Buddy, Buddy has an anger problem and he he lashes out at people when things do not go his way and we see him doing this over and over and over and yeah it's you know the the movie it's it's just under two hours it seems like a longer movie somehow because Mm. i think partly because it's so episodic and it's like skipping all around his life so it's covering a lot of ground i mean this is this thing spans decades yeah, and I think that's what Billy Crystal was trying to go for. He's trying to go for like this epic type of like big sprawling movie, like you said. It does hop around uh, pretty much almost every aspect of his life. Um, and yeah, we see, like you said, how he met his wife. We see his daughter. Do- there was one thing I, I kind of dug where we see him um, getting, because at one point he does have his own show. He gets his own show mm-hmm. and he says, uh, you know, he, he, we see him with his wife and daughter there backstage. And like they have like I think his he asks his daughter to do like a little double take, which is like a little inside joke they have. Yeah. And we see her making faces and doing like a little double take. And he goes, hmm, needs work. And then you see that disappointed look on her daughter's face. It's like, it's like yeah. oh, OK. She because uh, she's not, too young to really know that her dad is joking. Um, right. And which is another thing that happens on where uh, where he's on stage telling jokes about his wife and. You know, like, oh, my wife, I caught my wife cheat, cheating with my best friend. And I was like, and it's, it's an old joke he tells over and over again throughout the, yeah. throughout the movie. Where he's, and over he, and over and over again. You yeah. hear that joke a lot. <laughs> Look, as a comedian, I, I get it. I was like, yeah, yeah. you know, you got to stick with the classics sometimes. And like, so, yeah, he's telling this joke on stage about how he caught his wife with, you know, his best friend. And, of course, he says, Boy, he's like, you know, Murray, I can't believe it. I have to kiss her, but you? And, yeah. of course, we, we go backstage and we see the daughter looking at her mom saying, Mom, is that true? It's like, no, no, he's it's, it's a joke. He's joking. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and then it follows up with him telling jokes about how dumb his daughter is. Yeah. And then we see the look on her face like, oh, I, I guess that's and, a joke, uh, too. Spoiler alert, uh, Buddy and his daughter estranged later in life. Um, you're like, well, hey, how'd that happen? Yeah. Oh, you grew up to be twice divorced and with a drug problem. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's kind of a tough movie to watch in, in ways because, like, Buddy Young Jr. is not an especially appealing character. I, don't, I didn't really enjoy spending a, a great deal of time with him, you know? Yeah. No, he... Um... His character does, they do walk that fine line with him where you can see he is very funny, he is very talented, but he's also like a big jerk. And he, he like, I, I think, the, well, the, the thing that they kind of, you know, really like uh, showcase is that like he's his own worst enemy. Like he talks about mm-hmm. how he's not getting the opportunities, he never got his big break, but he does get opportunities. He he did have yeah. his own show. He did... um you know, like later on in the movie, like Helen Hunt, the uh, agent, got him commercials, but then he mm-hmm. just sabotages it uh, because, like, he has again, he has a temper and he likes to joke around a lot. And if he feels like he's being disrespected in any way, or if you're turning your back on him, he lashes out. So then yeah. that kicks him back. So then, like, he doesn't hit he, he doesn't hit the heights that he should, just because he doesn't want to play the or, Hollywood or that he game. could, yeah, or he could, yeah, because yeah. like, yeah. I mean, he, 
the 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 slogan for this movie on the original movie poster is "It's lonely at the middle," uh, which I think is a very apt tagline for this movie. Um, yeah, and and you you see over the course of the movie that Buddy has really just kind of made his own bed. <laughs> yeah, very much. It's it's weird. Like at one point, you see why he is he's at where he's at, and like so you know he's a jerk, but at the same time, you kind of feel sorry for him. Like they had that montage where mm-hmm. he was doing, like, shows on the road, and he was doing, like, shows in bowling alleys yeah. and old, old folks' homes and, like, yeah. uh, I think Miss Mechanical beauty pageant. Mm-hmm. Like, all these dead-end, like, gigs and, you know, being alone in a hotel. You're like, oh, this is this is sad. But and at the same time... this who's in, like, his 70s or 80s at this point. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's an old man at this point. Like, his, yeah. his ship has sailed. It's, uh, yeah, it's not how he should be spending his golden years. Well, I mean, the inciting incident of the movie is when his brother, Stan, who's played by David uh, Pamer, um, who's been acting as his manager and agent all these years and just kind of, you know, running the show from behind the scenes, he decides he, that he is going to retire. He's going to go down to Florida to be with his family and paint. And, you know, he's he's just tired of the whole rat race of it all right and yeah. buddy does not take this well yeah no he uh he does not of course he latches out at him and calls him all these horrible things and i don't know like um i mean david Plamer, he's he's really good in this he kind of plays mm-hmm. i don't want to say like a like a beaten man but he's definitely more of the quieter reserved of uh of the brothers he's like he's like fredo in the godfather yeah, like, I mean, yeah. we learn uh, in the flashbacks that they actually started out as a double act, him and his brother. But when they were first at an amateur talent show, uh, his brother Stan got cold feet and he was like, no, 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 I can't do this. I can't do this. And Buddy goes out and does the act on his own. And uh, after some initial awkwardness, he's a big hit. Um, and that's the start of his career. And then Stan just sort of fades into the managerial role. And yeah, he, he seems yeah. much more comfortable there, but uh... right, like behind the scenes. But I don't like. I, did you did you think like when um that scene happened where it was just him going out on stage and then like he tells a joke and he bombs, mm-hmm. and but then he sees like um somebody heckles him like this big fat dude, and yeah. he he just lays into him with you know like with all these cool you know barbs and whatnot. Like he takes the mic out of the stand. Yeah. It seems almost like very. It. New Jersey in a suit, and yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd like See, to introduce you to something you haven't seen in years. Your feet. Um, oh, this yeah. guy over here, Maron. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it almost felt like a like Dewey Coxian, like him just like mm-hmm. taking the mic out of the uh, stand and just all, just becoming pretty much a pro, like you know, right before our eyes and right. doing something amazing like that. What what were, what are you asking exactly? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> no, I was asking like it. It, see, it felt like 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 the Dewey Cox moment where like the guy almost becomes like a like a like an amazing performer, like a pro, uh-huh. in, in the span of like a few minutes before our okay, eyes. Yeah, thing. yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I guess so. But I I just look at that as a basic convention of biopics. I mean, you gotta you know when you're trying to tell a story that spans decades like that, you gotta. You're you're kind of like watching their career and fast forward, so you're just seeing all the highlights and the lowlights. Um, 
So, yeah, I don't think that bugged me in a big way. I mean. Okay. But. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. This, this film, it was. Hmm. It's, and, and we see, we, we see a flashback where he meets his, his future wife, uh, played by Julie Warner and Julie, Julie Warner. She was like everywhere in the, the early nineties. She was like the it girl for a little while there. Yeah. Doc and, Hollywood. Uh, I think she was in, she was in doc Hollywood. She was, she was in a lot of stuff. I, I closed down her IMDB page, so I can't uh, relate I think she was in the remake of the Body Snatchers. Um, right. And I like how the, yeah, she was on a sitcom or two uh, over the years. I mean, she's still working. She's. Uh, I saw like her last credit uh, on her Wikipedia page was like 2020. I just haven't really kept up with her, so I was like, "Whatever happened to Julie Warner? She's still out there. She's still working. I just haven't been aware of it. So that's on me." Yeah, still plugging away. I liked how we got a little cameo from Adam Goldberg too in this thing. A young Adam Goldberg playing uh, the brother of Julie Warner's character. Uh, yeah. yeah, the Hebrew Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> you did you see that movie? I did. Mm, I did. It was, it was really something, folks. If you do not remember the Hebrew Hammer, it was like it was like Shaft for Jews. <laughs> he's playing <laughs> like he's playing like this this Jewish private eye who's like a Jewish Shaft, and it, it, it's pretty funny as I recall. Yes, Lahayim. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah, probably best re- remembered as uh, uh, Chandler's creepy roommate on Friends. I I think so. That's probably the biggest thing he's done. It. I mean, he's yeah, done he's, tons. He's, of... he's also great in Fargo, the TV series. Oh right, yeah. Like he's done a ton yeah. of movies and ton of. Yeah, I mean, movies. Adam Goldberg. He's he's become another one of those. Hey, it's that guy. But you know, it's, yes. this is a very young Adam Goldberg here. Um, but yeah, uh, we we see Buddy Young at a show in the Catskills. He's killing it. He's having a great night. Um, and then he spots this young lady from the stage. And when he gets backstage, he says to his brother, Stan, he's like, hey, table eight girls. I think she's with her parents. Get her to come backstage. I want to meet her. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see Stan go out and like ask her to dance. He pretends he's like a pediatrician, I think. Yeah. Oh, the pediatrician. <laughs> it, it, it greatly impresses her, the Jewish parents. Oh. And so he, he gets out on the dance floor and then he's, you know, tells her that he's really like a, a manager and that uh, his brother, Buddy, who just killed on stage, wants to meet her. And uh, and and yeah, and then Buddy and Elaine really hit it off. Uh, Buddy likes her because she is funny in her own right. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, how would you like to marry me? And be in some not terribly convincing old age makeup in a few scenes. And she was like, yeah. yes, that sounds good to me. You know, you're good with looking like a 30-year-old woman in old age makeup to look like you're in your 60s or 70s? And she's like, yes, I am on board for that. Sign me up. I do. This, how'd you feel about the old age makeup in this movie? I, I it's, it wasn't quite all it could have been. Oh, it definitely was not quite as... It, it was literally like they put silly putty on her face and just kind of stretched it out a bit. It, yeah. It, it was it was a little off-putting. Yeah. Like, I I was like, ah, we should have maybe sprung for a better makeup artist or something, <laughs> but it did not look great. I mean, I thought, I thought it was good in, like, the scenes where Billy Crystal... and Billy Crystal's probably, I don't know, 40-ish around this point. Yeah, he said he was um, 43. 43. Okay. So he's, he's 43. I think like it looked really good in the scenes where Billy Crystal's playing younger than his age at the time. And 
you know, he's okay as an old man. But yeah, the makeup's not all it could have been. I think David Pamer's makeup was a little better. His was better. Yeah, Billy Crystal's makeup was all right. But yeah, Julie Warner's makeup was glaringly not great. It was just like... I I think it's just really tough to make a young, beautiful woman look like an older woman. Because, you know, the face changes so much with age, you know? Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. And, and also, um, with the Catskill show, they did some a little f- things in this Catskill show that I, I really kind of got a kick out of. Like, when he's doing the show and he's killing, he's slaying, he sees one person there not laughing. Yeah. So when he, when he gets off stage, like, that's the only thing he can think about, which is a very yeah. comedian thing to do. That is. That is. We, we see the worst in everything. <laughs> We're horrible why did, people. Like, why didn't that one guy laugh? What the fuck is his problem? And Stan was like, what are you talking about? There were like 500 other people that were in hysterics. Yeah, you but know, that so one what guy. If the guy from NBC didn't like your act. And he's like, what? That was a guy from NBC? And he's like, ah, no, but. <laughs> See what I did there? See what I did there? Yeah. Um, yeah. I also liked how he was talking about how he riffed the joke about circumcision. And like, he didn't even know what he was saying. He's like, what do I, I was just saying shit. I don't even know what I said. And yeah. like, that's, that's also a very comedian thing where. Like a lot of times when we're in the moment or on a podcast, we'll just riff and say whatever. We don't even know what we're saying when when we're all done. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, we also learned that Buddy's a bit of a BS artist because um, after after uh, Stan retires in the present day, um, we see Buddy. You know, he wants to keep getting gigs, and he's just lost this big cruise ship gig that he had, and he's like, "That was my entire winter. I was going to be there for like two months." Um, and so he, he's looking to get new representation. We see him meet with an old friend of his played by the, the late great Jerry Orbach. Um, Mm -hmm. unfortunately only one scene with Jerry Orbach. I was very disappointed by that. Um, cause this movie, as with most things in life needs more Jerry Orbach, more Orbach, more Bach. I mean, more Bach. Yes. Hashtag (laughs) more Bach. Let's get that started. (laughs) If you put that hashtag out, people will think you're just like a really big fan of Bach. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, let's have Jerry Orbach as as Bach. Sure, uh, Orbach as as Bach. Bach to Bach. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, he he was he, you know he was a, a a singer and dancer. He was in Forty Second Street, and he was uh, Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast. He could oh. he could do it. He's a song and dance man. Yeah, but I mean, uh, Jerry Orbach is like an old friend of uh, Buddy's from the old days, and he's he manages like this whole agency, and so Buddy needs new representation, so he meets up with him, and Jerry Orbach's character is like, yeah, great, we'll we'll do something, I'll set you up, I'll take care of you, we'll you know we'll do this, we're very excited about this, and um, we've already seen by this point in the movie the scene where. Uh, Stan basically breaks up with Buddy and he's like, I just want to retire. I want to go down to Florida, spend time with my kids. I want to paint. And then as Buddy is telling it to this prospective agent, he's like, oh, yeah, I told him he should retire. And so I I sent him down to Florida and I bought him a house. And it's he always has to be the big man. Yeah. Um, and and we we because we've already seen that scene play out for real. We know that's not true. And then later we see him. He's supposed to have a subsequent meeting with Jerry Orbach's character at the Friars Club, and he's he's embellished the story even further. He's like, "Yeah, I, I bought him a house and a boat." <laughs> and, yeah, 
it's that that I mean, both those scenes are pretty amazing, especially like you said, where he's telling Jerry Orbach, he's like, "Oh yeah, I set my brother up at a condo and all that stuff," and yeah. then Jerry Orbach is talking uh, talking to a buddy about his career. He's like, "Oh yeah, I always thought you should have been bigger. I was just telling a friend of mine the other day, like yeah. you know, he's I always love Buddy Young. He's he's an amazing comic." And then Buddy calls him out on it, saying, "Hey, really? Who'd you tell?" And then Jerry's like, "Oh, you know, uh, you know, this guy I know, you know who, who whatever." Yeah, you know, well, and and did this guy say that he loved me, or did you say that you loved me and he agreed? So it's like, it's not but, enough that he got praise, but he he has to get the right type of praise and from the right person. And you know, yeah, when we find out that Jerry Orbach's character is a bit of a BS artist too. Yeah, everybody's right? lying when yeah. when you're being an agent. Yeah, so. everybody's lying. Everybody's lying. And so, um, so you know, what have we learned? Details. Details make your lies more convincing. That's right. If you learn anything from this podcast. Yes. Yes. Learn how to lie properly. Learn how to lie properly. I mean, I was saying this to Michael J. Fox just the other day when we went to the deli. (laughs) I said, Michael, I mean, people are not going to believe this unless I have more details in the story. You got to give me more details. You know, I was just telling that exact same thing to my very good personal friend, Terry Cruz, the other day. Mm -hmm. We We were driving around Santa Monica. And right. my, uh, you your know, workout I, buddies. Yeah, we work out buddies. You know, I, yeah. I, I you know, I'm pushing weight now. I, I got like, yeah. you know, five, five plates on each side. And you I, showed uh, him how to, how to do that, that peck dance thing. That's, I did. I did. Terry yeah. Terry got that from Darren. Darren doesn't like to brag, but Terry got that from Darren. I don't like to brag. I'll let him have it. I'm like, Terry, yeah. Terry, 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 I call him Terry, Terry. I said, Terry, yeah. Terry, you know, what you do is like, you basically, you know, you, you work the, work the boob muscle, you know, you, then they go bum de bum de bum left, right, left, yeah, right. Yeah. And that's, it looks uh, like that's uh, Dorothy Lamore from behind. Exactly. Hey now. All right. <laughs> oh, wow. That really, that really took me off track. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I threw that in just to amuse you. That derailed me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's the goal. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> I mean. And, you know, if you can derail your comedic scene partner, there is no greater gift in comedy, folks. <laughs> yes, and what? <laughs> uh, that was just for me. <laughs> Good times, people. Good times. So what were we saying? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, buddy, buddy needs new representation. <laughs> right, so, right. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so, he's, he's at the table at the Shriners with a bunch of his old uh, buddies. Mm-hmm. The Friars, not the Shriners. The Friars, right. I said Shriners? They're different. You said Shriners, is there a different? Is there a difference? Shriners, they wear fezes. Um, ah. And the Friars Club is is the big uh, comedians club. It's like a, you know, it's a private club for comedians. Um, yeah. Got it. Okay. All right. And the, the Shriners, I think it's I think it's like a charitable organization. I just know they wear fezes. Okay. They're not the ones that run the world. That's the Masons, right? Or that is the Masons or uh, some particular ethnicity if you're really racist. Or Illuminati. Wait, wait what? What, what? What happened now? Never mind. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. So, yeah. So, as we said, that he's meeting up with his friend. I, I recognized one of them. I think one of them was like, was one of them like Sid Caesar or Shecky Sid Green? Sid Caesar was there. Yeah. I didn't ah. recognize the other two guys. The African-American gentleman looked very familiar, but I couldn't quite place him. Um he kind of looked like were, uh, Isaac from the Love Boat, but I know it wasn't him. No, it it definitely wasn't uh, him. Um, but we had a, we had a Jerry Lewis cameo. Jerry Lewis comes by. He does his old uh, uh, 
glass in the mouth gag. Yeah. And and we see him and Buddy just sort of bust on each other a bit the way comedians do. Um, yeah, they seem to have like a bit of a contentious uh, friendship. They're you know like he'll he'll bust his chops, he'll bust his chops, but they don't really seem to quite uh, like each other. But that's the way very many comedians relate to each other. We, you know, mm. we're uncomfortable with sincere emotions, so we <laughs> we insult each other. Are we ever? Yeah. Um. So so yeah. So we're it, it's sort of establishing Buddy as a peer to these guys, but maybe he never quite made it big as like a as a uh, Jerry Lewis. Yeah, like he's. I think he's known as the comics comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so, like, as he's telling his friends a story about, oh, yeah, you know, Jerry Orbach. I keep saying Jerry Orbach. He has his, his character. I don't has remember in- the character's name. He's Jerry Orbach. He, and he's yeah. like, Jerry Orbach begged me to, you know, to to let me take him on as my agent. You know, right. oh, uh, Phil Gussman. That's his name. Well, okay. Phil, that's not as cool of a name as Jerry Orbach. He's no, Jerry no. Orbach, damn it. You know what? I take it right, I take it right back. He's, he is Jerry. He's Orbach. Hashtag he's Orbach. Jerry Orbach. He's Lenny Briscoe. He's putting baby in the corner. Mm. You know? Love it. He's... And uh, yeah, so as all this is going <laughs> <Jerry> on, <laughs> his name is Jerry Orbach. <laughs> I am resentful that Jerry Orbach only shows up for one scene of this movie. <laughs> yeah. I wanted way more Jerry Orbach. And when I saw how high he was built, I was excited. Um, and I, I only got him for one scene, but I guess he was busy with Law and Order at the time. So. I, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Was he uh, in Law and Order yet in 92? Let me look that up. I don't think so. Right. But uh, yeah, so as uh, Buddy is talking to his friends about meeting up uh, in a few minutes with Phil Gusman, turns mm-hmm. out uh, Phil Gusman isn't showing up. Instead, he sends Annie Wells, played by Helen Hunt, to come and talk to buddy about his career so immediately but a buddy is feels like he's been brushed off and disrespected by handing him off to uh, annie wells who has no idea who he is he has no idea of of what he's done he has no idea he doesn't know she doesn't know anything about the uh comedians that he looks up to like phil silvers Mm -hmm. and the like and yeah so he sees this he sees this as the ultimate insult the ultimate brush off Yes. And by the way, Jerry Orbach did start on Law and Order in 1992. So, yeah, he, he probably had a very tight schedule. There was a murder on the Upper West Side and uh, <laughs> Jerry Orbach had to be there and make some quips over the body. So, yeah. As so only, he had things to do. <laughs> you know what? That makes sense. It's, yeah. Like, who's going to make those quips? Ice-T? <laughs> no, please. No. I mean, and uh, I mean... Yeah, uh, uh, Richard Belzer still on homicide right now. So I mean, mm. what are we gonna do? We, yeah, we we need an old Jew to make quips over corpses. Jerry Orbach, <laughs> you're elected. Yeah, Jackie Mason's not available. So I mean, need somebody. <laughs> no, I, who wants Jackie Mason to make a quip over your corpse? No, you you call Orbach. If you so want the job done right, you call Jerry oh. Orbach. God damn it! I, walk, I go to the Upper West Side. I see a dead body on the ground. I was like, what is this? Anyway, yeah, so Buddy, not happy that Helen Hunt shows up, that Helen Hunt's character of Annie shows up. Yeah, I believe his his exact words were, go take a shit with your clothes on, he says. Her. Sure. Which is like, 
It's an interesting insult. I was like, hmm. That's an interesting insult. Uh, could be our, our new tagline for the end of the podcast. Uh, Ooh. Go, go take a shit with your clothes on. <laughs> I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we should try it out and just see. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so we get to see a little bit of the famous uh, temper that he has where he just, like like I said, like anytime in this movie where he feels like he feels like he's being belittled or underestimated, disrespected. disrespected. Yeah. Look, that's a big thing with him. He'll just lash out on you and like tell you to go to go fuck yourself. And uh, we see a big uh, example of that when he when he has his own show and he uh, says something that gets his entire show canceled. Where because um, apparently his show is like falling into ratings. And mm-hmm. like he's screaming at his brother about it. He he's firing. Yeah, it goes it goes from number three in the ratings down to number thirty six in the ratings over a course of, I don't know if it was a few weeks or a few months. They're vague about it, but right. but he's up against Davy Crockett, which is the big hit show of the, I think late fifties that was on. Um, and everybody was wearing like the Davy Crockett coonskin caps. That, those were the big trend. Right, and uh, I'm gonna ask you if you if you notice this one quick little joke they threw in there, where mm-hmm. like he's firing his writers, say you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, get out of here, and so one of the as they're leaving, one of the writers says to the other writer, "All right, come on, Woody, let's go," and the guy who he said that to looks like a young Woody Allen. So, um, no, I didn't notice that. Uh, that's interesting because, yeah, Woody Allen did start writing for Sid Caesar. I don't think it was on your show of shows. I think it was on one of his other variety shows. But, yeah, uh, that's how young Woody Allen got a start. Okay. So I was wondering if that was like a little Easter egg they threw in there that, like, oh, buddy, young fire Woody Allen. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like, they didn't embellish on it. It just seemed like a little quick thing. That's something I noticed. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So, anyway, like, um, Buddy's going on this tirade about his show and how he needs to save it because, I like you know these people come here to see me. They don't come here to see you, Stan. You're just some dude in the background. I'll save this show like I save everything, like I save your career and whatnot. And so yeah. he goes out there and he tells this joke that Stan warned him not to tell because it would piss yeah. off the sponsors. And it's basically a joke about Davy Crockett being gay. Which, Davy uh, Crockett and everyone at the Alamo being gay because I guess the coonskin cap is effeminate looking or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, it's not good. It's not a good joke yeah. and it's not a good thing to do for your career. Yeah. He says his moccasins never touched the ground. I didn't get that for a minute. I was like, what? Uh, it means it, it's like he's lighting the loafers, you know? Uh, oh. Oh. So. Yeah. And it's like, oh, king of the wild frontier, more like queen and then. They just cut it because... Yeah. Yeah. Y- yeah. Yeah. So that didn't work out well for him. Um, no, it did not. No. Uh, again, and it's like a recurring thing with him where he feels like like he does, he's a good comedian. He feels like he deserves all, you know, deserves to be the headliner, deserves to, the respect. And he is a good comedian and he does deserve the respect. But then he'll just turn around and just burn bridges and, you know just burn it all down just because he doesn't want to play the Hollywood game. And it's, yeah, again, he's his own worst enemy. It's his way or the highway. And, oh. and we see uh, Annie, uh, Helen Hunt's character, the young agent um, who she's determined to do a good job for buddy. And she comes back to him and she's like, Oh, well I looked it up and you know, 
this comedian was the funniest one of the Ritz brothers and, and, you know, Phil Silvers was brilliant and blah, blah, blah. She's, she's done the homework. So she knows more of Buddy's milieu, you know? Um, and, and she's like, you know, let, let me work for you. Let me do jobs for you. I can, I can get you jobs. Um, and she tries him as a warm-up comedian for uh, some sort of game show. Uh, that doesn't go well. <laughs> yeah, because was that host? Was that Shadow Stevens? Am I not? That was Shadow Stevens. Shadow <laughs> Stevens. I don't think he even had any dialogue, but we see Shadow Stevens, the DJ and actor, as uh, <laughs> as the host of this game show, and and Buddy has to introduce him. And you know, Shadow Stevens, he has uh, like sort of this you know long mane of blonde hair, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, the job of a warm-up comedian is just to kind of get the, the the TV studio audience energized and excited about the show so that the, the hosts can feed off that energy. And Buddy brings him out by saying, like, well, when he comes out, I want everyone to say, hey, Pete, what's with your fucking hair? And everybody in the audience is like, oh, my. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sauce? yeah. Is it weird that I knew Shadow Stevens on site? Like as soon as I saw him, no, I, no. I mean, uh, Shadow Stevens is is popped up in a lot of stuff. I remember he was he was on that sitcom uh, that was adapted from Dave Barry's writing uh, with Harry Anderson. Um, oh, wow! I don't know that. I don't I, remember what exactly it was called. It was like Dave something. Oh, uh, okay. ran for a few years. Um, All right. I just knew him from uh, Hollywood Squares. That's, that's oh my... yeah, he did. He did uh, pop up on Hollywood. He he was like a regular on that. I'm Dave's Shadow Stevens. Name of that show. It's, Dave's uh, World. Oh yeah, I do remember Dave's World. Yeah, it, it started in 1993, ran for four seasons. So they, yeah, it's a post Night Court Harry Anderson. Oh and, man, yeah, it was a cute show. Yeah, yeah, not too shabby. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's like you said. Like so, Helen Hunt gets him some work, but again, he just likes to sabotage it because he's a comedian yeah. and he he likes to make fun of everything and he doesn't. He just likes to, you know, push people to the edge. Um, mm-hmm. he also, she also gets him like a depends commercial and, yeah. uh, that again, doesn't go well cause he's making jokes about, you know, bladder and poo poo. Yeah. I mean, well, I, it, it's supposed, supposed to be just like a straight role about, yeah, how this old man that he's playing is now doesn't have to worry at this uh, party that he's at because he's, he's got the depends <laughs> and, uh, yeah. but he just cannot resist, uh, making a joke out of it. And that costs him the job. Right. In his defense, you mean making a commercial about the pens? You got to make a. It's poop. You got to make a few jokes about it. How can you? Well, not? I mean, you know. that's kind of a humiliating thing to I get. be at in your career. Yeah. I get, I yeah. Mean, so, yeah. Oops, I crapped my pants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And Starring also. Sam Watterson, who is also on Law and Order with Jerry Orbach. It all comes back to Orbach, ladies all and gentlemen. Com- all roads lead to Orbach. Hashtag Morbach. We've said it over and over and over again. It's all about, it's Jerry Orbach's world. We just live in it. It's all about the Orbach, baby. <laughs> what you want to do? <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm pretty sure the director of that Depends commercial, was, was that the dad from Mork and Mindy? Um, I feel like it was. But. Yes, I think it was because I I remember seeing Conrad Janis's name in the closing credits, and I was like, "Oh, where was he?" And yeah, so that makes sense. That tracks. Yep, that tracks. Um, so yeah, so she's trying to get him work, and we also have 
uh, you know, very you know, sad scene when um, Buddy Young's mom passes away, and uh, we see like you know, and that that's another thing I think I I kind of think this movie needed more of, even though it did give a good uh, you know, sense of his life and where he was. It didn't give too much of a background about how his relationship with his mom and his parents. Like I, I know they said, yeah, he, I mean, like you you can tell that his mother and his family it was it was like a really big thing in his life um but yeah they don't really delve into what his relationship with his mom was like i mean he's he's obviously very sad when she passes away she was they say she was 92 and uh yeah it hits buddy and stan is very hard because it's always tough to lose a parent no matter what the circumstances uh but yeah there, there's the main thing we know about his his mother is that she cooked a lot and that she had these very fat arms that shook when she laughed. Yeah, and that's I think that the movie could have gone into the relationship between him and his mom a little bit more, just so like when she does pass away, like it, it hits a, a little bit more. It's a little bit more impactful. Like we they do have that one scene where when he's on the road, he visits his mom in the hospital, and like he's like talking to his mom. I think her mom was like you know, resting or kind of right. in a comatose state at that point. Like, that that's the only time when he's really honest, where he, he talks to his mom, say, like, yeah, things aren't doing too good, mom. I'm not, you know, yeah. I'm not doing that. Like, yeah. he, like, she's the only person he he was ever honest with. So you get Yeah, you get I would have liked to see a little more of that. And, you know, maybe, like, establishing that in his childhood or, or something. Yeah, because when his mom passes in the movie, we don't really feel it, you know? Right, no, absolutely. We get and, that it's important for Buddy and Stan, but yeah, we, we don't really, we just kind of take their word for it that she was important to him. Oh, by the way, I'm just seeing now on the Wikipedia page, the comedians who appeared in the Friars Club scene were Jerry Lewis, of course, Carl Ballantine, Slappy White, and Jackie Gale. Slappy White, that was the name. Slappy White was the African-American guy? No, no, he was the um, the dude in the middle, I think, that I, I kind of recognized, but I didn't. Okay. I, a sloppy white sounds familiar. And okay, and it wasn't Sid Caesar, it was Carl Ballantine. I could have sworn that yeah. was Sid Caesar. But yeah. they look a lot alike, so. Okay. All right. All right. But but yeah, like I think we needed more uh background about the relationship between him and his mom, just so the you know, the death scene, the funeral was more impactful. Definitely. Definitely. Absolutely. I to- I totally agree with you there. Absolutely. And uh yeah, so like he's he's you know down in the dumps about that, and um, of course his brother Stan comes up for the funeral. You know, because Stan went down to Florida, and now he's you know back in New York, and then the two yeah, of them and, kind and of... they're kind of estranged at this point. I mean, Buddy is he feels like he's been betrayed by Stan because Stan chose to retire and enjoy his golden years. Yeah, <laughs> like enjoy the rest of your life. What are you? What are you nuts? <laughs> but you could be getting me a drink after my show. Don't you understand what you're getting? <laughs> you could be calling me a cab in Poughkeepsie in the dead of winter. Yeah. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't you want to do that? Yeah. You don't you don't want to go get fetch me a tuna sandwich in Tacoma or whatever. <laughs> I mean that is appealing just because of the alliteration alone. Yeah, um, that's hey, <laughs> tuna salad in Tacoma. I I could go for a nice tuna salad right oh, now. Actually, ooh. yeah, that mm. that that does sound tasty. Mm. 
Um, mm-hmm. right. Anyway, anyway, focus, all right, focus. barrel through, barrel through. <laughs> focus, tuna after. So he's, yeah, so, so, um, and then, then he gets another uh, career opportunity that Annie has set up for him is there's a, there's a big time Hollywood director uh, played by uh, Ron Silver, Larry Meyerson, who's, I don't know if he's supposed to be an equivalent of somebody uh, in Roger Ebert's review. He called him a Steven Spielberg type filmmaker. I don't know where Ebert was getting that, but. Because uh, he, he, be- he had a beard. Maybe because he had a beard. He he has a beard, and and he is he is Jewish. So therefore, Steven <laughs> bearded Jewish. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, but he's but he's a top director, and he's got a new film, and he's he's got a part in it for an older uh, uh, comic that is named Buddy, and he actually wrote it for for Buddy Young Jr. And but he he thought that Buddy Young had passed away at this point. Yeah, so he's very bad. excited to meet with him and have him possibly play this part. Um, right. And Buddy's like, yeah, this will be perfect. This will be, you know, this will be my big comeback role. Yeah. Um, right, right. So, um, yeah, so they have the meeting and, you know, Buddy riffs. He's really funny. And, yeah, um, yeah no, like it, it's pretty much like a done deal. And then they're like, yeah, you just need to come and audition and you got, I, I really want you to have this. And yeah, so Buddy's like, you know, yes, he, he has. It looks like he's. It looks like he's about to make it. This is his big things, and he, so he. Asks, Everything's coming up, buddy. Yeah. So he asks his uh, brother Stan to stick around in New York for a while, help him uh, prepare for this role. You know, Stan doesn't want to do it because it's his grandson's uh, birthday coming up. But, but buddy convinced him, no, just stay here and help me with this. And he's like, all right, I'll help you with the audition. Yeah. Uh, cut to the. They don't show him prepare for the role. They just cut right to the audition in the next scene. Uh, yeah, we, we maybe could have used a little more build-up there. Yeah, a little more build-up would have been nice. And uh, so it's him, it's Buddy, it's uh, Stan and Annie, the agent. They go into yeah. the audition room. They're like, hey, we're here, we're ready to audition. I'm, I know this backwards and forwards, I'm ready to go. And then uh, we see the director um, and uh, you know some, a few other people at his side. And they say, yeah, uh, I'm sorry to have to do this to you, but we, we've already promised a role to Walter Matthau. We originally gave it to him. He didn't he passed on it, but now we heard from his agent and he changed his mind and now he wants it. So yeah. he's gonna get it. So sorry about this. Uh but we have this other part you can read for called Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and you know it sounds like a decent part. It's like, oh he's in three scenes and you know which, which is more scenes than Jerry Orbach is in this movie. Um, wow. Just saying <laughs> Just saying. Wow. John, he's saying when you have Jerry Orbach, you put him in your movie as much as humanly possible. John, he's fighting crime on the Upper West Side, making quips over the dead. He, he, I understand that. I understand that. And he, at the end of the day, that is the best place for Jerry Orbach. Um, yes. He's only one man. I know. I just, I just want to see more Jerry Orbach <laughs> in life, in general. Um, Hashtag Morbach. Hashtag Morbach. Uh, he's a delight. Uh, right. So, yeah. So, you know, at first, Buddy is agreeable. He's like, okay, yeah, I'll read the doctor. I, I'll read that scene. I, you know, I know that scene. I can, I can do that. Um, right. But then he's reading the scene. He gets indignant again. You know, he, he's sabotaging himself again. Yeah. 
Because like he, what he does, yeah. Because as he's reading it, he's like, "No, this isn't right." Like I, like that that other part, the grandfather part, the Walter Matz. That's my role. Like I, yeah, I earned it. I deserve it. I know it backwards and forwards. It's for me. And then yeah. of course the director's like, "Yeah, you know, this is just a businessman. This is this is how it goes. I'm really sorry. This is just." And then I I understand Buddy's viewpoint because it is fucked up that they just gave the role to another dude like that. But I also understand it is part of business, but it's, it's, it sucks. Yeah. That he has I to mean, go- it's, it stinks, but you know, Walter Matthau is a star. Yeah. Um, so you totally get why they, they go with Walter Matthau. And right. uh, yeah. Yeah. But I think it's also a thing like he spent years being a good comedian and he's paid his dues and he, he knows he's good. So he just feels like, well, I'm good at this. I know I'm good at this. So just give me the opportunities to like to shine and and you know and you know I he I, 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 he kind of feels like he's just not getting his due at this point he's getting passed over. I mean, he feels business. like he's owed it at this point. Yeah, um, exactly, very much so. Yeah, which but, I mean, that's that's just the reality of show business. Nobody's yeah. really owed anything, and mm-hmm. you know, it's like it's like Clint Eastwood says in Unforgiven: "Deserves got nothing to do with it." <laughs> <laughs> Oh wow! It's you know, it's just so much of it is luck, and so much of it is random chance, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, wow! This it's getting depressing, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, as I say, it's like he feels like yeah, um, he feels like he's getting stiffed, and you know, they he, they say it's nothing personal. You know, this is it's the business. It is what it is. And, uh, like, he just, again, storms out. He says to the director, hey, it's no big deal. It's nothing personal. But, you know, this, yeah. if I don't get if I don't get the the, uh, the role you gave to Matt, I don't, I don't want to do this. I'm not doing it. And right. He just, he just walks out. And, and he gets oof. into a big to-do, a big blow-up with his brother Stan on the way out. Um, you know, Stan, like, actually grabs Buddy and, like, pushes him down the stairs a little bit. Not Not, like, where he tumbles all down the stairs, but he just... He kind of jostles him a bit, and he, he goes down a couple of stairs. So don't worry. He's okay. It's not life-threatening. But right, he's like, exactly. you always do this to me. Uh, right. Yeah, like, you know, and, you, you yeah, exactly. You get my hopes up, and then you just, you know, you blow up everything, and I got to clean the pieces up. And right. You burn the bridge behind you, I think he says. Yes, I think he says, you are you you are where you are because of of who you are. Yeah, that's a good line. That's yeah, good yeah. Line. Not bad. And then, of course, now that Stan yelled at him, Buddy yells back saying, you know, basically how he gave him a life, basically. Yeah. Uh, and like, you know, and uh, how like he he's always known that he's never had the guts to be on stage with Buddy and do what Buddy does. So he wanted him to be near it, to be close to it. That's why he wanted him to be his agent and be his right hand man, because like. You know, he always knew like he didn't have what it takes to be on stage, but he wants to be near the action, near the excitement that Buddy provides. And then, of course, they throw in like a little thing in there about like how uh, Buddy has always known he's kind of that Stan has always had a crush on his wife, which is mm, it's a little below the belt, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they don't. The only place they ever really hinted that is in the first scene where uh, of the the scene where they first meet her. And yeah, you get a feeling that Stan might have liked Elaine, but then you know, but 
<laughs> Buddy saw her first, I suppose. Yeah. And but they never they never do anything with it after that. You don't see him. You don't see Stan looking regretful at the wedding or anything like that. Or at least right. I didn't see that. No. Yeah. No. It's just, it, but there was a thing like like you said when they met the Catskills. Like you know, I mean Julie Warner. Hey, 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 hey. Yep. Yep. Uh, but but yeah, but definitely she was more interested in you know talking and hooking up with Buddy than him. So it was like sure. Yeah, he got he got passed over. He's the splashier guy. Um, yes, but... absolutely. Um, yeah. So they 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 have a they have a big to do and uh, yeah and Buddy and and that's kind of what. It seems to finally reach Buddy after all these years. Uh, he realizes, oh yeah, I have I have been kind of an ass for yeah for for forty odd years. <laughs> um, it's like, oh, have I been wrong this whole time? Huh? Huh? Which, um, I you know, and this is something I I did read Roger Ebert's review of this, and and Roger Ebert. Didn't really buy that ending. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, well, no, you you uh, you talk about because actually I saw yeah. on a because I did a quick search on YouTube and I saw yeah. on YouTube they have a whole episode of Siskel and Ebert where they talk about um, this movie. Oh yeah, well, I mean that is what they did. Yeah. Um, I, what he what he says in his print review, he says what doesn't really work in this film is the change of heart, which is obligatory, I guess, in all showbiz f- films. And comes when Bunny has an awakening and realizes he has not been a nice guy. My notion is anyone who's been an SOB until the age of 70 is unlikely to reform. And so the quote-unquote happy ending is unhappy because it's not convincing. A truly poignant ending would have cheered me more. And uh, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, Um, that's the thing about this movie. It does have like a lot of kind of cheesy, schmaltzy moments uh, here and there. Uh, like, Like towards the end of this film where he tries to reconcile with his daughter and uh, he gives yeah. her the money that uh, her, uh, his mom left her, left him. Um, yeah. Actually, actually the money was his mom, but he, the mom, um, I think the money is, is uh, something it, it, that it's like $13,000 and right. he hands the check to his daughter and she says, Oh, this is made out to you. And, and buddy tells like a white line. He's like, Oh, well, when she gave that to me, I was still like your conservator because of the trouble that you had. He, like he makes some cracks earlier in the movie about uh, her having a drug problem, I think. Or yeah, she's uh, recovering, I believe. Yeah, she she's had some troubles in her life, and and we don't delve into that very much at all. We just kind of hear about it in passing from from mostly insults that Buddy says. Yeah, um, <laughs> a lot of insults. A lot of insults. Um, I kid, and, I kid. Yeah, but so he he's doing this sort of white lie about this. Um, uh, yeah, and so he gives her the money, and she's like, "Well, thanks, Dad. That's this will really help me out a lot." And uh, yeah. yeah, but I I really think Roger Ebert was right. Uh, if you've been an sob until the age of seventy, you are unlikely to reform. Yeah, and I think the entire country knows that. Oh, absolutely. Now, um, sometimes uh, you don't grow into a job. Sometimes you just stay the same jerk you are, or you were, and you stay that way till you die. Yep. Uh huh. Yep. Uh, but yeah, like guys, if you have, if you go on YouTube, look up the Siskel and Ebert episode where they talk about uh, this movie, and you'll you'll see like how they they both gave it a thumbs up. But yeah, like Ebert uh-huh. says, it's like the part that where 
you know, he's he's very remorseful at the end of this movie. Doesn't really ring true. It's, it, it feels very Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, I see that, and I I think I agree with that too. So yeah, um, it's overall. I feel like the movie's just so so. Like all all through the movie, I just had the sense of like, well, why are we telling the story? of this guy because it doesn't exactly seem like a love letter to that era of comedy like the Catskills comedian the Borscht Belt comedian that kind of grew out of vaudeville um and and he's not a real appealing character so I'm just like well why are we telling this life story I know that Billy Crystal is a fan of this era of comedy uh but I don't know yeah it just left me scratching my head a lot you know yeah, I'm, I think I'm the same way. Like, I kind of left this movie thinking, All right, it's okay, it's so-so. Uh, I yeah. mean, this, this, it has a lot of funny jokes in it, I'll say that. Uh-huh. Like, there's one joke where, like, towards the end, he's doing a show in, in front of all these uh, older people, and it's a really good show, and I think one of the jokes was uh, a man goes into the doctor, and he says, Doc, I got five penises. Then the doc says, "Yeah, how do your pants fit? He says, like a glove. And I go, ha-ha, get good it, joke. Go- it's that's a that's a pretty good joke. That's pretty solid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it is. I mean, it's a fun, it had a lot of good jokes in it. But yeah, overall, it's I felt very kind of lukewarm on the whole film. Yeah, it just it was just like, yeah, like like it's like you said. Like, why are we talking about this fictitious character? I mean, it uh-huh. seems like it's it is a it does seem like a love letter to a you know a bygone era of comedy. Right, uh, you know, like what did it try to say about that era? Or, like, it doesn't. I I don't, I don't know. Cool. Like a lot of the Catskills comedians were jerks. I mean, yeah, usually <laughs> Buddy is a jerk throughout most of this movie. Um, we don't really see him get more bitter with age. He's a bitter young man. Yeah, he's he's just the same. Um, so he's not particularly somebody that you want to follow through several decades yeah i mean it you're not really rooting for him to have a big comeback yeah i mean it would have been uh, nice to see like why he's that way like why is yeah. he that had that personality like did something happen to him when he, when he was a kid you know um i would say something with his dad but i think they established his dad passed away when they were kids i, I just yeah, i would just like yeah. to see like what made him the way he is you like, i mean you're kind of you know, like when when Stan retires and with all the other stuff you see in the movie about how shabbily he was treated through the years and how much he gave up for his brother, you're just kind of like, yeah, great. Good for him. Go Stan. Yeah. <laughs> I, it might have been more interesting to tell the movie more from Stan's point of view, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, well, I mean, I know uh, Siskel said in the uh, YouTube video that I saw, like he actually he really liked David Pamer's performance. Like he I think he said yeah. he was so so on the movie but Pamer his performance like really like turned him around on a lot of it like uh, he he, 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 I think he gave it like a a moderate thumbs up because mostly because of Pamer right yeah and again uh, Pamer was nominated for an Oscar for this and I think I think deservedly so I don't I'm not sure who he was up against and uh, he did he did not win maybe we should look up who who won there let's do that but, 1992 Oscars. I'm going to look that up. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Overall, I thought this movie was okay. Um, it, it hits a lot of the um, biopic beats that you've seen in a, a bunch of other uh, films. Uh, like I said before, it like has like Dewey Cox vibes to me in a few places. 
a lot of good funny jokes, but overall, I thought it was just okay. It's it's fine. I don't think it deserved to bomb like it did, but it definitely yeah, it definitely didn't reach the heights as a movie that I think Billy Crystal was trying to. Uh, uh, yeah, trying to, yeah. Trying to I mean, this to. this was obviously a passion project for him, and he wanted this to be like a prestige picture, you know, and and probably also like. Uh, see, I can do drama too, and I can, I can, you know, be a screenwriter, and I can be a director, and and all this. Uh, okay, so we got best supporting actor for 1992. Uh, it was David Paymer uh, for Mr. Saturday Night as Stan Young, Al Pacino, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, oh, and Ricky Roman. Yeah. I mean, that's a great movie. Jack Nicholson, Few Good Men, is uh, Colonel Jessup. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> Jay Davidson from The Crying Game, and. Um, uh, the winner was Gene Hackman for Unforgiven as Little Bill. You just so. mentioned Unforgiven. What about how, what about that? We did. We did. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And actually, that's another thing, too. Uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross came, uh, I think, a week, came out a week before this film did. So it's, oof. It was under the shadow of that film. I mean, it's a better film. Yeah, is, <laughs> I was is. watching some scenes from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross just a few weeks ago, and man, that thing sucks you in. Yeah, folks, if you haven't seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, I, I highly recommend you watch it. It's some of the best acting you'll ever see, and probably yeah. some of, if not the best, like writing I've ever heard. I've ever yeah, heard. Yeah, David film, like, Mamet. I mean, it's uh, it's it's got Al Pacino, Jack Lemmon, one of the best Jack Lemmon performances oh ever. Uh, Kevin Spacey, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Uh, but also Ed Harris and uh, Alan Arkin. And yeah. I mean, it's, and it's based on stage play, so it's like pretty much all dialogue. Yeah. Um, the fucking leads. Oh, are, Price, too. Yeah. yeah. The fucking leads are weak. You're weak. <laughs> You're weak. Um, oh my god. God, that. Oh, that. The dialogue in that film. My god, it is. It is tight as a you. Yeah. I came here on a talking <laughs> moose. <laughs> oh wow! I didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The best bit about that sketch where Alec Baldwin is parroting his his role in Glenn Gary Glenn Ross on SNL and he's he's given this the speech to Santa's elves is that one bit he he forgets himself and he starts doing the Glenn Gary Glenn Ross dialogue. He's like, see, A always B B C closing. I mean cobbling. Always be cobbling. And it's like literally written on a on a blackboard, but he literally yeah. just instinct takes over. Uh, it, and it's all the funny. <laughs> Didn't he also instead of say coffee is for clothes, he was supposed to say cocoa is for closers, but he said coffee is for closers. And then he I went back. I don't remember and, that. I don't remember I, that. I, I remember I, Yeah. I remember he fumbled yeah. a few lines in that thing. He might have. I remember Seth Meyers breaking a little bit <laughs> after Seth, the the always be closing moment. Um but, that sounds about right. Yeah, they roll with it. Yeah, just roll with it. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think this movie's okay. It's uh, I don't yeah, know. yeah, maybe you know, maybe the I don't know, maybe the musical's better. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, you know, it needed some more Jerry Orbach, and yes. uh, ooh, as most things in life. Yeah, the shame he couldn't be in the musical. I think that that's. I mean, that would have been right up his alley, right? Oh, oh my lord. Oh my Lord you give heaven. you give the agent a big number, and now you're cooking with gas. That that would have been cool. That would have been cool. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, that's our episode, guys. Thanks again for listening, as always. And mm-hmm. um, you know, as always, you could follow us on Twitter at SNL Nerds Show. 
And don't uh, forget to uh, rate, review, and subscribe. All that good stuff. Oh, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Tell your friends. You know, Tell. be like, hey, I know about this cool podcast. Hey, you you like SNL, right? We they're they're these two guys. They do this podcast and. I don't want to oversell it, but it is yeah. the greatest thing that humanity has ever produced. Absolutely, this is it. This is all. This, yeah. is, this is the peak of 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 uh, fine humanityness here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. T- talk to a friend. Be like, hey, you like Jerry Orbach, right? Well, I got this podcast. Right. I got this <laughs> these podcast. guys all about Jerry Orbach. Who uh, did Jerry Orbach ever host SNL? Let's look that. <laughs> oh God. Oh. All these tangents. I'm now going. curious. We're we're doing the end of the show plugging, but I'm just very curious if Jerry Orbach was ever on SNL. Now. I would I would say no. I'm gonna say no. If he is, I'll be very, if he did, I would be very surprised. Uh, you know, there's not an entry for him that is coming up on SNL Wiki. Wow. So SNL, you missed your window. Boom 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 boom. Uh, yeah, and as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Darren Credible. That's D-A-R-I-N Credible. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Trumbull Comic. That's T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L and the word comic. So, so, yeah. so. And uh, yeah, join us next week where we talk about the uh, the first new episode of May. The first of the last three episodes of the season of SNL uh, with Mr. Yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch. And Arcade yes. Fire. And Arcade Fire. Uh, looking forward to that. That'll be fun. He's, uh, of course, plugging the new Doctor Strange movie, which I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, I want to try and see that just to so I don't get spoiled for it before I get I see it. So, yeah. Absolutely. It'll be Absolutely. fun. And it'll, be, it'll be fun if, uh, if uh, yeah, he does like an MCU parody or a Sherlock parody. I would love to see either one of those things. Ooh, he just... I don't know. He just might. He just might. Yeah, that'd be pretty fantastic. Fingers crossed. Or I will also accept if uh, there is some reference to Jerry Orbach in yes. Saturday show. Well, that goes I think without... that would also be wonderful. Well, that goes without saying. I mean, come on. I mean, I just I just need more Orbach content. I've been starved for Jerry Orbach content for like ten years now, and uh, yeah, it's not right. <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair. It, it is not fair. I mean, does Jerry Orbach passing away mean that I should be deprived of Jerry Orbach content? I'm, I say no. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I can only watch reruns of uh, Law and Order and uh, Dirty Dancing for so long. Yep. Yep. I can only rewatch Crimes and Misdemeanors on a loop for so long where I'm like, I need new stuff. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, um, you know, come back next week. Uh, see what we have to say about the uh, Benedict Cumberbatch Arcade Fire episode. And uh, uh, keep an eye out for our Jerry Orbach podcast coming soon to the Non-Productive Network. Yes. It's, it's uh, what do we go with? Hashtag, it's called Morbach, I believe we're calling it. Morbach. I mean, yeah. that's just too good of a title. Yeah. We got to call it Morbach. Yeah, we got to snatch that up before somebody else does. We do, we do. We've got like one week to do it now. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll see you uh, next time with the Jerry Orbach podcast. But until then, nerds out. This has been a non-productive media presentation. 
Executive producer, Frank Hablaoui. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.